Hey everybody. Hello. Welcome back to Hitchcocktober 3. Of course we've had to break it up because of the whole weekly thing, but uh, we are back. We are getting our two films in this year. And we're going on a very different note today. We have a comedy. Yeah, this is a very rare comedy. Hitchcock didn't make very many, uh, though personally I would argue pretty hard that North by Northwest has to be considered among his... <laughs> I, I really would argue that. I'd argue that very firmly. I wouldn't debate you on that. I mean, it's it's certainly funny. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Hitchcock didn't do very many comedies, but he always did have a definite sense of humor going through his films. This one is not meant to be... Like, there are some elements of... Where he does kind of stop and make you go... <gasps> but... They're very minor. It's more like, uh-oh, what are they gonna do now than anything else? Yeah. The film that we're covering today is The Trouble with Harry... This is one of the legendary lost Hitchcock movies, one of the films that he did that was out of circulation for many years. Hmm, really? Yeah, because of rights issues, he took several of his films out of circulation, and they were films that were basically, when you get right down to it, they were films that tended to underperform. He had a number of films that he did take out of print for various reasons. I know Rope was one. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. No, me either. This is one that was supposed to go on the docket for the last two years, but we cleared it in favor of another film. Yeah, and I feel pretty good about that because the ones that we um, put in there tended to be ones that I thought were... I yeah, thought they were worth better match. Uh-huh. Okay, it was unavailable... Let me explain. The situation is it was unavailable for nearly 30 years. Rear Window and Vertigo were actually among the ones... That, oh my god. Yeah, um, yeah, Rear Window, That that's kind of a thought there, that um, when you get right down to it, the films that were out of contact, that were like out of circulation, are typically the ones we think of when we think of Hitchcock, uh, aside from Psycho, which was very much in still in circulation. Yeah, I mean, Vertigo, I know, they re-released into theaters in the 80s, and that's when it became very popular. Yeah, Vertigo, I still think, is the best thing he did. I agree. Here are the five films that were kept out of circulation. They were Rear Window, Vertigo, Rope, the 1956 remake of The Man Who Knew Too Much, Aww. and The Trouble with Harry. So there we go. So these were five films that were just kept out of circulation. Of course, they're now among the films that people think of when they think of Hitchcock. I mean, everybody thinks of Rear Window. Everybody thinks of Vertigo. And again, Vertigo is definitely his best film, I think. And The Man Who Knew Too Much is fun. That's yeah. one of the films that was actually a remake, but he remade it from himself. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to probably hit on that one within the next few years. Uh, I would be surprised if we you know, did that next year. Let's get on to this one, because this is a film that, again, it's a, it's a comedy, and it's an exception for Hitchcock. But it was actually one of his favorite films that he did. Uh, just because this was a movie that was different for him, it was a film that he greatly enjoyed working on. Oh, I bet. It was a 1955 release. It has a fairly small cast, but just because it has a small cast doesn't mean that it doesn't work in at least four iconic figures from American pop culture. We'll cover those when we get to the film, but um, it was by and large shot on location. It, it was actually shot in the New England setting that it was made in, and I, that really shows up in the film because it looks gorgeous. Oh, it does, yeah. The colors just pop on this film. Yeah, I, I watched a... Um... A, a standard def copy and it looked 
really yeah that's about what i watched but it does look good it, it looks sharp it, it honestly the first couple of shots are so good they almost look like it, it's brand new but again this this was a departure for him this was this is more or less a straight comedy it involves a dead body but it's still very much a comedy the only murder mystery where everybody thinks they did it yeah that's the fun of this story this is very much in the tradition of the british parlor comedy I mean, th th this is where Hitchcock's uh, British roots really come into play. The society comedy, where everybody is just, everybody cares so much about their image. They care so much about how they're perceived. And they care so much about, well, you know, we want to do the right thing, but sometimes doing the right thing means that they have to do the absolute worst things possible. For themselves. For themselves, because that's the key. Everybody is in this for themselves. Yeah, this is a farce. This is a farce writ large. The atmosphere is also very um, uncluttered. Yeah. I think that's the only way to describe it. Yeah, it's a small town, so it's not overburdened with extras. You do have scenes where uh, the old hunter and his neighbor, you know, sit down for basically a date, and the dead body can't help but keep popping up yeah. in the conversation. Yeah, and it is, it's a movie where everybody takes the subject of murder very lightly. Oh, God, yeah. But what's funny is, even though this is a movie theoretically about murder, it's a movie that really never feels like a black comedy. I would not put this as a black comedy at all. No, not really. There's a reason why we're not going to really call this a black comedy, and we'll get to it later on in the cast. Um, shall we tell people that full spoilers are on for this one? Because I know this is one that a lot of people haven't seen. Full spoilers are on. And I might as well say, we are going to... We are going to recommend it, or at least I am. Oh yeah, same. This is a good one. I mean, kind of knowing what's going to happen doesn't really spoil the experience. No, it really doesn't. But it, I don't know, it kind of takes away some of the fun. It's a good punchline. I wish I hadn't known. But uh, not nearly as much as I wish I hadn't known about Psycho. Oh, yeah. That ending <laughs> still makes me angry. Not because it's the wrong ending, but because I knew about it going in so hard that I couldn't enjoy the fun of the film. I mean, I still think Psycho is a brilliant film because Anthony Perkins gave one hell of a performance, but I'm just saying. So yeah, let's let, let, let's get into the film. Let's call it what it is. This is a very light film. The movie takes place in a small town, uh, seemingly, I think, in, what, is, what, New England? Somewhere thereabouts? I don't think it really... It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't go out of its way to establish exact place. The film starts with a... Uh, kid finding a dead body a kid with a toy gun no less a toy gun that looks suspicious really uh, you realize how little those designs have changed by the way over the years when you look at that thing i know it looks pretty modern yeah it starts with a kid finding a dead body he runs home to tell his mom shirley mclean about it yeah we're gonna get to mclean in a moment but i'll just say this was her first film oh nice and it really doesn't show it it it, it doesn't show um oh yeah she's charming in it yeah she's very very likable but yeah the kid runs home to tell his mom and the body is quickly discovered by the hunter. He's an old captain. We know he was in the war. We know he's definitely been around violence. He doesn't seem unacquainted with it. But he's, he's a very charming, likable, warm, fuzzy old man. He is one of the four iconic figures that we meet in pop culture. He is uh, played by Edmund Gwynn, best known as Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street. Nice. He still is very much in Santa Claus mode. 
He's very warm and likable and doddering, and you just like this guy immediately. Yeah. Like, you just want to hang out with him and listen to him tell stories. He's a hunter who's gone, he's trying to catch some food, and he fails miserably. He even shoots a sign that says no shooting on this property. Yep, and he discovers that, oops, he uh, may have shot the guy. Right. And he's pretty horrified. Pretty horrified. Pretty horrified. I think somebody in that situation would react uh, a lot more terrified than he reacts. Yeah, he, he's more ashamed than anything else. Right, right. Like, oh, this is this is embarrassing. He's like, you know, I meant I meant to shoot a rat. You know, I meant to shoot a rabbit or a bird. Instead, I shot a, a person. Yeah. And he can't decide what to do with the body before he can even drag it out of sight. Like at least three or four people show up to stumble over it. Yeah. One of them literally. Yeah. One of them literally stumbles over it again. I love how everybody's reaction to it is, Oh, there's a dead body. Yep. There's a dead body. You're, yeah, sure. You betcha. Yeah. I'd really be shocked if the Coen brothers weren't fans of this movie. <laughs> so that, that happens. And one of the people that he stumbles upon is the, uh, elderly Ms. Gravely, who we don't get her name until the end of the uh, film. We don't get really very many people's full names until the end of the film, it occurs to me. She stumbles upon it, and they have their little flirtation, and I really enjoyed that scene, where basically she uses this moment to try to ask him on a date, basically. <laughs> she does. The conceit there is they've been neighbors, but they haven't really talked very much. Yeah. They've been neighbors, and they there's a spark there, but they've never really acted on it. She has her own reasons for being very casual about all of this, which we will find out later. She winds up going back to town, wherein we encounter one of our next main characters, an artist. Probably my favorite character in the film. Yeah, th this is a guy who is just slick as can be. This is someone who you really wonder what his backstory is, because he's really way too casual about everything in this movie. And he's constantly looking for how he can get what he wants out of things. He's a struggling artist. He's, I don't know if he's any good. Subjective. It's subjective. The film implies that he is, but also it implies that he's not. You know, he's kind of set up, like his art is treated as, a, you know, a joke. That, you know, that exact joke throughout the film. You know, they're selling his art by the roadside, basically, in this little town. And it doesn't say it takes place in Maine, but I'm going to assume it's Maine. Yeah, Maine, New Hampshire, one of those. And he has just has a whole bunch of art set out and, you know, on the roadside and always buying it. And he gives her the, his new piece and she's holding it and says, oh, it's lovely. Then he takes it from her and flips it upside down. Yeah. Or flips it, I should say, right side up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, uh, yeah, we're, again, we're, we're kind of left to our own decisions about the guy's quality. But this is, this is a very, very small town. We only encounter one police officer, really, in the entire thing. He is the, I hesitate to say bad guy, but he's the one that everybody's trying to avoid. Even though he's established as being very much an idiot. Right, yeah. Yeah, all he really cares about is working on cars and reselling them. Yeah, I was going to say, the car that he's driving has to be, at, for that time, at least 30, 20, 30 years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 ancient. Yeah. Um, and it will, of course, become a plot point. I mean, so you've got this situation here where it's just, it's a very strange town. This is very much a town where it's just odd, is the only way to put it. But By the way, let's note that the artist is the uh, second of the icons that we meet in this story, uh, John Forsyth. Mm, yeah. 
I thought I recognized him. You, um, if you're a Dynasty fan, I am kind of surprised. I don't, I didn't know that we had an overlap with that viewership. <laughs> but more likely, you've heard his voice uh, through a uh, an intercom system on uh, Charlie's Angels. Ah, that makes sense. Yes, uh, this was the voice of Charlie on uh, Charlie's Angels in the uh, TV show and in the movie. Really? Yeah, yeah, he, he continued the part to the movie. I thought Bill Murray was Charlie for some reason. Well, no, Bill Murray was the assistant. I see. Uh, and that's how they were able to change actors for the next film for that yeah. part. The Charlie's Angels TV show is canon with the movie, actually. Really? Yeah, it's it's actually hard canon with the movie. Huh. In the sequel, one of the uh, original Angels actually shows up. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of trivia for people. Um, but yeah, Forsyth shows up, and as the, he's the artist. And again, he's just really... This is a guy that... He's just very slick. And Forsyth sells the hell out of it. Uh, he's really good in this. He's very charming. You, you very much believe that he has the effect on women that he has in this thing. There is the great scene, by the way, where um, his response to finding out that uh, Mrs. Gravely has a uh, date... Is he's to say what you're like? He uh, guesses her age at fifty, and of course she's horrified. Uh huh. I'm forty two. No, actually the actress was fifty. Really? I yes. thought so. I'm just gonna say right now, having an actress object to the idea of their age in a movie when they're actually that age—that's going to be something that's gonna carry over to next week's movie. Just a note. Yeah. Yeah. So she gets a makeover from him. Again, so much of this movie is just little business. It's just people kind of occupying themselves while they wait for the uh, next shoe to drop. And that's when he, you know, he gets wind of some of the things that are going on. He goes up to talk to the captain, and they start to talk. And really, for the very longest time, he's very convinced he's the one that's committed the murder. This is where we start to get some of the backstory about Harry. We find out... Who he was, where he was from. And um, the fact that the boy went back to get Shirley MacLaine, his mother, mm -hmm. uh, the story. And her reaction was, well, good riddance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great scene because her reaction is just priceless. She's just, she's celebratory. Oh, yeah. And that's also the scene that kind of lets the audience off the hook. Like, you don't have to care about this guy. <laughs> Oh yeah, she establishes immediately, this is a guy who was a bastard. Yeah. By the way, okay, obviously, while we're keeping count on the icons, let's let's get three and four out of the way. Obviously, McLean, who is a legend. The boy is Jerry Mathers. Yeah, Beaver. This was, yeah, this was one of his first roles, too, so... I was I was going to ask if this was pre or post because he's pretty it's pre. young here. It's, it's pre, it's pre, and he's he's very good in this. You know, as child actors oh, yeah. from the fifties go, he's he's really good. But I want to pause for a moment to talk about McLean because this is such an interesting performance. <clears throat> you know, obviously at this point we've mostly seen her as a senior citizen on screen. It's really shocking to see her as an ingenue. I mean, she did a lot of work in the sixties, in the fifties and sixties, but really. I haven't seen too much of it, uh, aside from this in the apartment, but uh, her, her stardom was deserved. Her stardom was deserved. She was a... I mean, it's kind of striking how attractive she was, I, I you know? She, she's very appealing, she's very charming, 
And you can immediately see that this is a woman who was going to go on to bigger and better things. Oh, yeah. This this was a good debut for her. This was, in terms of debuts that actors can be embarrassed by or not, this was a really good one to start with. And it really also, it sets the tone for the rest of her career, too, in terms of the work that she would do. She did a lot of farce. She did a lot of light comedy. And she was very good at it. So it's fun to see her in this. And again, her reaction is just priceless. Because it automatically tells the audience, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's like, you're okay. You don't have to... You know, the rest of the cast isn't going to care about them. You don't have to either. And so, with this discovered, Forsyth's artist decides to go hit her... He goes to hit her up. And, frankly, just to hit on her. Yeah. Mostly to hit on her. Yeah. He just basically shows up and hits on her. But, he starts to get her... And that's where we start to get some of Harry's backstory even further. Mm -hmm. Again, if it seems like this is kind of a herky-jerky description, it's because that's kind of the film this is. Yeah, it is. It's it's like, you know, you, we find out that Harry, he wasn't an evil guy, but he was definitely a flake. Yeah, he was a flake. He wasn't, uh, he didn't stick to anything. Uh, we find out that he was deeply into astrology, which is one of those things that you're just like... Uh, <laughs> I love that even then it was intended as a sign of, let's roll our eyes at this guy. Yes. So yeah, so we find out that he's a flake. We find out that he wasn't a good husband. He's not established as being the kid's father. Let's be clear about that. He was He was the, he was the uncle. He was the uncle. I mean, we, we don't find out anything about Harry that really strikes us as, well, this was a good guy. Yeah. We don't find out that he was a beater. We don't find out that he was allowed because i think then it would have been too easy to find this a really dark film no we just find out that he was an asshole yeah it's just it's just a flaky asshole that's about it yeah we also find out that the captain definitely did not shoot him yeah why because because we wind up getting bullets counted yeah a rabbit which yeah kudos to the kid as like um for the comedy that he pulls yeah because, yeah, the first time the rabbit's introduced. What do you got, a rabbit? Dad, what have you got? I got me a little frog. I'll trade ya. Your mother for mine? The rabbit for the frog. It's yours, Arnie. Can I borrow your rabbit, Mr. Marwell? Sure, Arnie. What are you going to do with it? You never know when a dead rabbit might come in handy. It already got me one frog. Sneaky devil. You know, so yeah, so we find out that the uh, the rabbit winds up being a plot point because it's like, oh, well, he didn't do it. And then we find out who may have actually done it. Because it turns out, Ms. Gravely, the reason that she was so grateful for the uh, captain stepping in is because she thinks she killed Harry. We're skipping over the fact that the captain and the artist buried him. Oh, yes, 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 let's not do that. Yeah, the captain and the artist bury Harry. That's when the captain realizes that oh the bullet count doesn't match up and the last one may have actually been the rabbit and not the body so he starts digging the body back up again for confirmation yeah yeah that, that was a huge thing to skip over correct uh and that's again harry will be dug up repeatedly in this movie he'll be buried <laughs> reburied buried reburied that's the trouble with him is that nobody can quite figure out what's going on and by the way, this this movie, by the way, has a tremendous unity of action in that everything takes place over the course of one day. True. However, that's going to make the movie very farcical towards the end. 
that's really going to turn the farce element up. So yeah, so they bury Harry, they rebury him. Yeah, after confirming that is not a bullet wound. Yeah, it turns out that he'd been hit on the head. Well, at least that's what we think was the cause of death. And that's when we find out the uh, truth from Ms. Gravely. Turns out uh, Harry may not have died that way. And uh, it turns out that he attacked her, uh, thinking she was his... Like, isn't that like he thinks she's his wife? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. I think that. that's it, actually. Yeah, so the, it, it's it's a pretty silly reason. So she attacked him. She hit him with uh, a shoe. Depending on the shoe, I don't think could actually kill someone. I've seen some shoes. And it also depends <laughs> upon how hard you hit. You also have to remember, okay, we're thinking in terms of modern rubber-soled shoes. Yeah. Think back to the wooden shoes. Those those things could have knocked some... I mean, yeah. Clearly self-defense. So now she gets involved. And of course, you know, he he's not mad at her for that. No, he's not mad at her. I mean, everybody is like, well, you had a good reason. Right. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't blame you there. You know, of course, the captain is still more than willing to take the fall because by this point he's falling in love. But it turns out that there's yet more complications to come. Yeah. By the way, I feel like that could sum up this movie. There's yet more complications to come. First things first, the artist has to sell some of his work to a guy that stopped by. And what's really funny is, like, he's this is obviously a guy of some wealth. And, like, he, he has a chauffeur. And he, like, stops to look at some roadside art. The artist comes out while he's being obsessed with gangs of scissors so he can cut Miss Gravely's hair for her date to make it, you know, to basically take ten years off. He runs out, gets some scissors, and the guy says, excuse me, young man. It's like, hey, sorry. And then he, then he runs back in. It's like, oh, yeah, clearly you're going to make a sale, dude. Yeah. And the guy, the guy is, gets back into his, uh, into his uh, car and the chauffeur drives off it's like ah 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 <laughs> but thankfully he still manages to get that sale made and what he decides to to take as his fee is something for everybody in town yeah which is really kind of selfless and nice mm-hmm. that is until we find out what he what he chose for himself oh yeah we don't find that out until the end of the film i was surprised we ever found it out I wasn't when I found out what it was. Yeah. So he's just, yeah. And then things just keep getting crazier. I mean, that really is the plot of the movie, is things just keep getting crazier. I realize we're, again, I'm sorry that I'm not giving a better plot description, because this is really more of a movie about how people act. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's not, it's not really about the plot. Like, it's an ultimate MacGuffin, really. Like, this is probably more MacGuffin than any other of his MacGuffins. Yeah, it has the clearest MacGuffin of uh, any of his other films. Because, yeah. let, let's face it, it's pretty obvious what the MacGuffin is. Oh yeah, it's in the title. Yep, it's in the title. Things just get crazier and crazier. It's pointed out that the artist has an excellent reason for murdering Harry, even though he didn't do it, and that the police would suspect him pretty firmly. Yeah. Even though he hasn't met um, McLean's character until this very day. And by the way, at the end of the day, he will be engaged to her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Reality does not ensue in this movie. Let's just stress that. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, reality never shows up in this film. It's also kind of uh, hinted at that maybe he's not a kid person. Yeah, he, he definitely does not come off as a kid person. Please. 
East Arnie, run home and tell your mother. Beat it, you little creep. I mean, uh, hurry home, son. Uh, Harry has to get dug up again. And this time his body gets to be dragged around. Yeah, they have to. He's been dug up so much that they they have to actively launder his clothes. Yeah. To make it look like, well, he hasn't been dug up three times. They wind up dragging the body around. And then and that's when the police decide to show up. <laughs> Turns out that uh, because the artist drew a sketch of Harry's face... And matches the description of a hobo that stole his shoes. Mm-hmm. There is there's a lot we're skipping over, but again, yeah, it's there for as light as this movie is, there is a lot going on. There's a lot going on. It's just it's just a lot of I wouldn't say nothing, but it's a lot of business is the, is the term. The theatrical term would be it's a film with a lot of business. So all this fluffiness is going along. Eventually a doctor gets involved. The guy that's uh, that tripped over him twice. Yeah. Eventually, the doctor stops to look at Harry, and he's the one who determines the final cause of death, which is... Heart attack. It's a heart attack. Yeah. No, nobody... It turns out nobody killed Harry. Of course. Because that, of course, everybody has to get off innocently. Oh, of course. And then finally it's decided, let's just put Harry back where we found him. Let's let Beaver Cleaver, quote-unquote, find him again and run home to tell his mother, who's right there. Ah... <sighs> <laughs> and the, of course we get everybody's names at the end and we find out that what the artist wanted was a double bed yes yeah boy there was subtlety there and that's 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 the line that the uh the film ends on yep and again this is a light movie this is a very fluffy light movie but that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie that just means it's exactly the movie that it wanted to be this is definitely a comedy. This is definitely Hitchcock working in a comedy mode. And, I, you know, it's interesting. I just watched a movie last week that was a good script mangled by bad direction. I feel uh, with uh, Big Eyes from Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah. Which, an excellent script. This feels like the opposite, actually. This actually feels like the exact opposite. It's a mediocre script but it's really elevated by the acting and direction. I think Hitchcock kind of tones down his visual sensibilities for this film just a tiny, tiny bit. Because there, there aren't as many quote-unquote Hitchcock shots in it. There, there aren't, but he, also does, but he also doesn't feel like he's selling himself short. He do, it doesn't feel like he's trying to do something oh, no. else. It just feels like he's doing Hitchcock in a slightly different note. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's effective. I think I think he does a fine job. I this is a minor film. Of course, it's going going to have a minor feel. I, I think he does a good job with it. That said, my three favorite shots are very much like Hitchcockisms. Oh yeah. Uh, one is of course the cover, like with the feet. The second is when they're all laundering his clothes. Yeah. And uh, y you know the one. Oh the yeah. Captain is sleeping, and you see the shadow of the guy's feet. In the background and the third is my favorite like stumble upon the artist goes out to sketch nature and does not notice the feet blatantly sticking out and yeah. until he until he accidentally sketches them and looks at the sketch and goes wait <laughs> yeah that's that's a really good moment and and it, and, and it really speaks to just how much this movie just doesn't care 
about the seriousness of this. It just doesn't take any of this seriously. I this is this is a really wonderful film. It is a it is a fun film. It is it's a trifle, but it's it's a but it's an entertaining one. And part of the reason that I also wanted to skip over so much of the plot is I do want people to find the humor themselves. Oh yeah, there's a lot here. You know, it's not fun to describe some of the small business. It's more fun to experience it. And again, Hitchcock just brings his A-game in terms of comedy and goofiness. Um, it's just an entertaining, very charming film. One of the things that we have to note, uh, I think you told me this uh, yesterday, is that this is the first uh, Bernard Herrmann Hitchcock collaboration. Yeah, this was the uh, dawn of that collaboration. Uh, Hitchcock's uh, usual composer was too busy working on To Catch a Thief, actually. <laughs> Interestingly enough. And so Hitchcock needed someone to step in. And uh, Herman was tapped, and the uh, the rest was history, as, you could, as they put it. Because um, Herman really does work very well. He does a... This is definitely not a psycho score. This is a very florid, very flowing score that really influences the idea that, yeah, this is a light story. Yeah, Herman just has a, it's a very light, very, la 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 la, everything's good, nobody's dead score. <laughs> it was a score that Hitchcock really loved. Uh, Herman later reworked some of the uh, themes from it uh, for a, uh, a a concert piece, so... Yeah, it, it's 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 a good score. It's a really good score. It's just it just works. I mean, and, and again, the acting is really what I think makes all this work. Uh, especially, everybody delivers their performances with such sincerity, but also such I don't know how you can be as sincere and yet ineffected as these people were, but they are. <laughs> yeah, it is just such a fluffy, fluffy fluffy piece and it really reminded me a lot of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum um which of course drew its inspiration from aristophanes i mean this is very much a, a, a it reminds me so much of greek comedy where serious issues are treated as frivolous the more to mock them and i really enjoyed that i thought the movie it worked in that note but i i thought it worked well in that note and and, and in a sense that makes it kind of a frustrating film to talk about because it is so much about atmosphere. I mean, I thought it was beautifully, again, I thought it was beautifully photographed. But because it is such a light film, it's harder to talk about than, say, a Best Night Ever where there's so much that you can really grill into the film. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly have any objections to this film's worldview or anything like that. It's just a fun film, and I had a good time watching it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to grasp without seeing it, yeah. You just have fun watching this movie. Again, why do we wholeheartedly recommend you do watch? I definitely think it's it's definitely much, quite a bit better than Rope. Yeah, it is. Because uh, it's a real film. I, I, I still feel like Rope is more leaning towards an experiment. Yeah, experiment slash it's a stage play. It's a stage play. This is a movie. This is definitely a movie. Um, it was a box office disappointment, and I really don't understand why. It had name actors for its day even though McLean was a debut, and, and Gwen and Forsyth were uh, names. I mean, it had things going for it. Hitchcock was, as I said, um, the composer was working on To Catch a Thief, so this was not at a bad time for Hitchcock. I mean, one of the interesting things about Hitchcock's career is that he would frequently have giant flops and giant hits next to each other. 
I mean, I know Vertigo and North by Northwest were fairly close in time, if not directly contiguous. Uh, I don't know why this was a flop. I, I, I don't think it needed to be. I think it works really well. Um, it wasn't for the content. It, it was PG. It was uh, a PG rating was on the cut that I had, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a PG rated, and there was no other cut but the Hitchcock one. I mean, it's it's a PG film. It's 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 just, it's not objectionable. It's the kind of film that I don't know why this was a flop. I I don't think it deserved that. I I think 1950s comedy sometimes gets a little bit of a, a hard rap. Uh, you know. There's the assumption that basically everything is like the Bond Pa Kettle films, not necessarily. I thought this, I thought this was a good one. I thought this was just a good little film. and I'd love to say more, is what it comes down to. I would love to say more about this film. Yeah, but there's not really much more to say. It's an experience. You know, it's a, it's a light experience, and I'm not going to tell people that this is a world-changing film. It's a light, fluffy, minor film. But you'll have fun. But you'll have fun watching it, and I think that's the key. It's atmosphere. It's light comedy. It's kind of enjoying the way things unfold. Nobody in the film is particularly unlikable. They're all fairly nice. Not really. Even the cop. I mean, there's nothing really that no. sinister about him. He's just a guy doing his job. Yeah. I mean, they even make it clear this isn't his passion. Right. You know, he's he's just doing it because he's got to earn money. It's not like he's like particularly after these people. He's just you know thinks he is a lead and he's acting on it yeah i mean it's just and he's not wrong he's not wrong it's just it's they're the ones that are wrong because they think they understand what's going on and they don't right but yeah i can i can recommend it easily i, I had fun with it um I, I i i definitely would say um of the hitchcock films that we've ranked so that we've watched so far i would say i i'd honestly put this above rear window and uh rope honestly yeah, yeah, I'd put it above Rear Window, definitely. Wow, that's pretty that's pretty high. Which is surprising. I know that Rear Window is almost always seen as such a hard, you know, high piece in the canon, but I honestly have more fun with this one. Is it a better film? I don't know. I, I think they're both kind of light films, honestly. Yeah, yeah, they are. As as I said, Vertigo, Psycho, and North by Northwest are. They're they're just outright classics. I don't know what else you say about them. They're they're great films. Now that we've gotten most of the major ones out of the way, Hitchcocktober is going to get only more interesting from here on out. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it was fun this year also to step back and do a couple of the smaller films. Um, mm, yeah. This and and Rope are very definitely smaller films. You know, that's just it. There's whereas with Vertigo, you can sit there and go through so many of the shots and just you know dig out the symbolism there really isn't any of that here i mean there's some but it's just it's not much and it's just it's not a deep film but so what and so yeah that, that's kind of what i've got to say on this one yeah it's me too <laughs> watch it that's pretty much it it's on you can get uh you can uh rent it on youtube uh, uh warren there are quote-unquote free copies on youtube but they are the picture is botched to shit. Don't. They're butchered. And and in one case, the sound is wildly out of sync. Don't watch it like that. Do yourself a favor. See the whole frame. I mean, and if if you have a library that's even remotely decent, they'll have this one in the collection. Mine did. I had to rent it. Like, this is, this is actually a good mention. Uh, I had an emergency. 
uh, I had to quote unquote emergency read it because the library had it in, but I completely forgot that um, yesterday was Columbus Day. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I got to return a movie like the Kansas City Library was open, but the local one was not, so I couldn't get at it. And yeah. well, this is a this is an AM record, so. You know, so yeah, I had to emergency rent, and I got to dip into the the Patreon funds for that, which is what they're for. So your funds are going to good use. This was a good use. This was a business expense. So let's talk about what's next, because next week is going to be our Halloween cast, and next week we're looking at a biggie. We're looking at one of the grand horror icons of all time, in two forms, really. We're looking at two of them. Next week, we're, we're taking a look at the 1994 meta movie, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah, I just watched it yesterday. And we're also going to touch on uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street to a certain degree. I, I, will, I will say at this point, I am glad that I ultimately decided to go back and watch the first, the first film first, because uh, that one ties more to this one than... And the other ones. Yeah, yeah, that, the, the, uh, the 94 film was intended as a direct response to the 1984 film. So next week we're, we're looking at Wes Craven and uh, his best-known creation, Freddy Krueger. And boy, is that going to be a dark cast. Uh, but it should be, it should be. We're, we're, we're going to examine what happens when a double masters from Johns Hopkins University... Decides to make an exploitation film. Decides to really show off his degrees. Yeah. I mean, I, th that's that's the thing that I find so amazing about Craven is here was a man who was super qualified and could have gone into academia and been a highlight of it. And he went into exploitation filmmaking. And what he wound up doing was leaving exploitation filmmaking better. Yeah. The work didn't taint him, he tainted it. So next week we're going to pay we're going to pay our respects to Wes Craven and look at one of his best received and uh, best received films from his best known creation. That's next week, and let's do the rundown. Yeah, you can find us on our blog, The Source of the Cast, at thefilmroom.podbean.com. Find us on iTunes, uh, usually up the day after this comes out on Podbean. Find us on the side blog where we post nostalgia and anything else we you know care to write about. That one's booming today, actually, because I am working on I'm working on a side project for that, um, a history of the theaters of Little Rock. Yeah, it's very much a work in progress, but um, it's starting. So um, that's feel... exciting, though. That's a great topic. It is, and it's something it's something that I've been passionate about for at least 17, 18 years. So, and in fact, after I get off the cast with you, I'm going to go over and do some work for it. So, Yeah, and that's at uh, filmroomlobby.wordpress.com. Yes. Like us on our Facebook page. We encourage you to do so. Facebook.com slash thefilmroom. We're almost at 500. Get us to 500. Yeah. Uh, our Twitters. Uh, you can find the cast at... At FilmRoomCast, Austin is at UntitledUser, I am at PermanoManPRD, and the secret Twitter is still flowing out there and has been active, very active. Yeah. So. It's going to pay off. I have to say, you know, if you follow us, you know, it's not really that hard to find the secret Twitter. If you follow us at all on reg our regular Twitter, you'll come across it 
eventually. Mm. Yeah. And it'll be painfully obvious which one it is. It'll it will be. Yeah, you can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail dot com. The last thing, of course, is our Patreon. We of course want to as always want to thank our patrons. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Nathan. Uh thank you, Sean from Notoli. Thank you, Daisy, thank you, Sheila, for your continued support. It really is it's helping us a lot. Yeah. We we're gonna do more, y'all. We're gonna do so much more. Um Yeah. We still have yet to get to our thirty dollar milestone, which of course is our own hosted site. Yeah. We're going to think up some more rewards for y'all. Yeah. I think we should probably have it like a $35 mark where, sure. you know, we promise another cast a la the one that comes out the day of this record, actually. Yeah. 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 Because, um, you know, I have an eerie feeling that we could probably get marks if we put up something really gross and suggest people would do it and people would, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not cheap, but <laughs> but you can rent us you can rent us for five dollars a month yeah for for one to five yep yeah and that's you know of course patreon.com slash the film so there you go yep so we will be back next week yeah talk to you then guys let's go just a minute now i want to ask sam something sam what did you ask the millionaire to bring you What was it? A double bed. <laughs> <laughs>